Hello, and welcome to the Ohio Valley True Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. Before we get to this week's case, I would like to go over a few things. First, I would like to thank everyone who has already started following the podcast on social media. Even before the first episode has been released, the support has been wonderful, and I love engaging with other true crime fans and hosts. I would like to give a special thanks to the host of the Swindled podcast, as well as to the host of the Obscura podcast. They were both kind enough to answer some of my questions. Besides being nice, they both have excellent podcasts that you should check out. Second, when I cover cold cases, I will provide links to the victims' NamUs and Charlie Project pages when available. You can find that information on the podcast website, ovtruecrime.com, and on Instagram and Twitter, at ovtruecrime, where I will also be posting pictures and documents related to the cases. This week's case takes us to southwest Indiana, and now, let's begin. In 1995, the population of Winslow in southwest Indiana was around 868, a number that hasn't changed much over the last 23 years. With a population that small, almost everyone knows each other, so the news of someone going missing is even more of a shock to the community. Most missing person cases are solved relatively quickly, usually because the person left on their own free will for reasons they didn't share with many people or anyone at all. That's why, when you try to report an adult missing, police prefer to wait a few days unless there's evidence that there's foul play involved. In instances where the missing person did not disappear of their own free will and there's foul play involved, the person responsible usually gets caught. They confide in the wrong person, taunt the police, brag about it, or leave enough evidence behind for police to use to catch them. But sometimes, someone goes missing, and we never find the answers for what happened to them or who did it. In these cases, the family and community are left with questions and heartache, but no closure, no answers, and no justice. On November 21st, 1995, 32-year-old Patrick E. King, aka Pat, became a missing person. And to this day, what happened to him and why are still a mystery. There are several theories about what happened to King and who was behind it. There have been searches and suspects, but King's body has never been found and no clear motive for his disappearance and probable murder has been made public. What is strongly suspected is that King most likely died on November 21st, 1995. Details are a little hazy, but on that day, a friend saw King talking to two men in a silver or gray car. King then told his friend that he had to go and got into the car with the two men. He hasn't been seen since. The next day, King's green 1991 Ford Ranger truck was found in a marshy area of Gibson County near the Potoka River in an area called Snaky Point. I looked at Google Maps and the area that the truck was found is about 10 to 15 minutes away from Winslow. When discovered, the truck's license plate was missing and investigators found blood 
hair, and fingerprints inside the truck. Even though DNA testing wasn't advanced in 1995 as it is today, police still collected what they found in hopes that they could test it later, because at the time, the sample was too small to test without destroying it. King's truck being found near Snaky Point was suspicious, because it is unlikely that King would have driven it there himself. King's family told police that he had recently repainted the truck and refused to risk damaging the paint by driving down gravel roads. This detail is important because the road to get to Snaky Point was a gravel road at the time. Police searched the area around the truck, but were unable to find more clues. The case took a twist when, eight days later, on December 1st, 1995, King's longtime girlfriend, Michelle Peters, made an urgent call to the police. She reported that her car had been rammed by a black and gray 1987 Oldsmobile. When she stopped her car, two men exited the Oldsmobile and approached her. The driver began shooting into her car. Eight shots total were fired, three into the windshield and five into the hood. Michelle claims that the man firing the gun was Danny Sumner. Michelle then claimed that Sumner's half-brother, Paul Wiscarver, smashed the car's headlights. Thankfully, Michelle was unhurt. I couldn't find any information as to why Danny and Paul had attacked Michelle. Both men were described as friends of King, so it isn't far-fetched to presume that they also knew Michelle. When police initially arrested the two men, they found blood on the passenger side door handle of the car that they were driving. Inside, they found an army jacket that also had blood on it and the name Wiss Carver written on the inside. Detectives collected samples to be saved for later testing. The brothers were charged with felony confinement in relation to attacking Michelle, but in May of 1997, the charges were dropped. After that, Patrick King's case went cold. It wasn't until 11 years after King's disappearance that the case was reopened. In 2006, Pike County Prosecutor Darren McDonald was going through cold cases and discovered that the blood and hair from King's truck and the car that Danny and Paul were driving had never been sent for testing. McDonald obtained a court order for the brothers to provide DNA samples, as well as got a sample of King's DNA for comparison. As if the similarities in the car that King was last seen getting into and the car that the two brothers were driving wasn't enough, two confidential informants came forward, alleging that Paul Wiscarver and his wife, Benita, had been trafficking marijuana into the county. Informants told police that Benita had threatened a man named Brian Like, saying if Like didn't pay them the money he owed them, then Paul would kill him the same way he had killed Patrick King. Since I couldn't find any updates to this, it's unlikely that any of the DNA linked the three men together, and the brothers have never been charged in the disappearance of Patrick King. But Danny and Paul were not the only possible suspects in the case. A few years later, someone else would emerge as a person of interest. In 2009, 14 years after King went missing, Police got a search warrant to search the property of Carrie A. Thomas. A witness told police that Carrie made claims that he was the one who killed King. The witness claimed that Carrie killed King because King had stolen several guns from Carrie. 
Carrie then supposedly said that after he murdered King, he had buried the body beneath his garage. The witness also claimed that Carrie had said he would be moving King's body soon. With search warrant in hand, police arrived at Carrie's residence with excavation equipment and cadaver dogs. Police reported that one dog did alert at the concrete covering the garage, and the other had given possible signs of finding something. A local construction company that police consulted said that the way the garage floor was built was unusually thick. After the floor was removed, bones were eventually found and sent for testing to see if they were human. This is another instance where I couldn't find any updates, which means that the bones were most likely not human. Eventually, Carrie was charged, but not with anything related to King's disappearance. Carrie threatened to blow up the courthouse if he was convicted on a separate charge of criminal confinement unrelated to King. Carrie ended up taking a plea deal on the charges of possession of a destructive device, machine gun possession, and intimidation. 2009 seems to be the last time that King's case was in the spotlight, and not much has been said since even though it has been 23 years since Patrick E. King was seen alive, and he was eventually declared dead, his family has never given up hope in finding answers and bringing him home. Unfortunately, the area that King went missing from is surrounded by multiple bodies of water and heavily wooded. If King's body was left in the area, it is unlikely that he will ever be found, and if his body was disposed of elsewhere, the odds of finding him are even worse. It seems that the only way that the King family will get closure is from someone telling the police what they know. Police never released a motive as to why King went missing or why his girlfriend Michelle was attacked a few days later, but I have some theories of my own as to what may have happened when King was killed. Even though blood was found in his truck, it wasn't enough for police to believe that King had been killed inside of it. And with there being no mention of blood found in the area surrounding the truck, it's also unlikely that King was killed there, making it most likely that King was killed in a different location than where his truck was left. Most likely, whoever left the truck and took off the plates was trying to delay King being reported as missing. The fact that the truck was left where it was also leads me to think that there was more than one person involved, at least in the truck being left. Snakey Point looks to be in an area that is not well-traveled and is about 10 to 15 minutes drive from town, so I think it's unlikely that whoever left the truck walked back to town on their own. I think it's most likely that whoever dropped off the truck was followed in the car by their accomplice and drove back with them. Was King killed by Danny Sumner and Paul Wiscarver because of drugs? There's no mention of King having a criminal record or a history of drug abuse. I find it odd that after King was most likely dead, the brothers targeted Michelle. They could have killed her, but didn't. Was this incident linked to King and meant to scare her so that she wouldn't go to police? Or was it completely unrelated? Is it just a coincidence that the car that the brothers drove bears a resemblance to the witness's description of the car that King was last seen getting into with two men? Remember, Sumner and Wiscarver were described as friends of King, and it's unlikely that King would have gotten into a car with two strangers. While it is also possible that King was murdered for taking Carrie Thomas's guns, the guns in question were never recovered or linked to King. 
I also didn't find any other information linking King and Thomas. Patrick King deserves to be found, and his family deserves to finally have him back. It's been 23 years, and his family needs answers. It seems that the only way to solve this case is for his killers to confess to the police. This is unlikely, though, so we have to hope that whoever is responsible for King's murder slips up and tells someone who will finally call the police. King's case is currently listed as a cold case on the Indiana State Police website. If you have any information on the disappearance or possible murder of Patrick E. King, please call the Indiana State Police at 1-800-852-3970 or contact the Gibson County Sheriff's Office at 812-385-385. 3496. For pictures of Patrick King, as well as more links and maps of the area, please visit the Ohio Valley True Crime website, ovtruecrime.com, our Instagram page at ovtruecrime, and on Twitter at ovtruecrime. <laughs>